it's a yeah. two hour. Yeah, oh yeah, that's fine. I think, I mean, I do hear the, the hum, but. You know, and I think you hear it louder in the headphones. I think you're right. What we will do when we, and we're doing a program about prayer, and uh, I think, you know, this is an amazing CD. Mm-hmm. It's just beautiful. And so we will be able to have some of this and okay, some great. of your music. Um, laced mm-hmm. with our conversation okay, okay. yeah and um so i mean let's just try to put words around it and see where we get but i think yeah. it can be very interesting for people because there is a um and prayer is an important part of of hindu spirituality mm, but it's quite a different concept mm, i think than a western yeah. one so i mean i mean i'd just like to start by asking oh okay blah 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 yeah. Do you, uh, did Doreen actually send you some of her CDs as well, her solo CDs? Um, yeah. I have a few, and I'll. I don't yeah, know if I have. Okay. I'm not sure that I have one of your solo You probably CDs. don't have the new one, though. I don't think we have the new one. Because that's the third one. As third I said to one. Terry, you know, we'll be able to have your music to mention the, mm-hmm. the, the other CDs and also to mm-hmm. mention them on the website. Great. So, okay. uh, um, so that should be fine. Mm-hmm. So, um, Anushka, would you have, just look at Krista and okay. tell her what you had for breakfast this morning? It was kind of more like lunch, I guess. Uh, <laughs> it was a chicken sandwich with brie cheese on top of it, and it uh, wasn't as good as I thought it would be, but the butter was <laughs> yummy. It was like chivy or something, oh. <laughs> if that works. That's lovely. <laughs> okay. Um, is it possible we could have you scoot up a little bit, yeah. but not lean on the table? Oh. Because when your elbows came down, okay. it, it sounds like Thunk. the bass drum. All right. <laughs> is that okay? Yeah, Is that so, better? Uh, I tend to be really quiet. The, they always have that problem with me. So. That's okay. That's okay. No, These microphones are amazing. Okay, cool. So I think that one thing I understand about mm, the Hindu religion is that it's um, in many ways more, more sort of a way of being in the world necessarily than an institutional affiliation mm. or uh, as Western religions tend to be. And I'm just wondering, you know, how... Was there a very much um, religious teaching or religious sensibility that you think of as part of your growing up? Um, Absolutely. Mm-hmm. It, it's it's very different, I suppose, because, first of all, I was growing up in London at that time, so I wasn't so involved with India, um, except for the time I would come every year for a couple of months. And so living outside of India, I think my mom did make a lot of effort to have it stay a part of my life. But it's more... About other things, I think, than than what I saw my other friends doing, which was like going to church every Sunday and things like that. With me, I mean, my mom would um, chant Sanskrit prayers with me every night um, in order to have me learn them. And uh, I think there were about nine or ten of them that we used to say together every night um, before I went to bed. And that stopped as I got older because she she figured it was more to me whether I wanted to to pray or not. Um, Mm -hmm. But I hope... Sorry to interrupt. Now you can back off. Move your chair. (laughs) Either just sit back or move your chair back. Is that right? Is that better? That's that's good. Is that better? I'm very sorry to interrupt. It's okay. Do I start over? No, just keep going. We can edit Brian out, too. That's the great thing. (laughs) (laughs) That's useful. Um, Yeah, but what's also nice about it is that a lot of what they teach kids in Hindu mythology and history is to do with stories and things like that, Mm -hmm. which makes it a lot more fun, I think. And so I grew up with all the big epics and the stories, and and through them all there's always a moral in the story, whether it's about animals or kings or gods and goddesses or whatever. And, And it's more about a way of life, really. It's more about, you know, the morals and the way 
one should be the best one can be, and karma is a very important part of it, of course. Mm-hmm. And um, it, it was never about, you know, this is what you have to do. It was always, this is why this is better, and more about teaching you how to think in a right way, I think. Mm, that's nice. Um, so, you know, you're, it has been said of your father, um, somebody who's, who's been with him playing, that, you know, as I said, for him, it seems like spirituality and music are mm-hmm. inseparable. <coughs> and then I, I read that he has said of you, there's something spiritual in the way she mm-hmm. plays. Um, is that, how, how would you describe you, your own sense of that? What is he talking about? Mm-hmm. Do you know? Um, in a way, I do. It's hard because it's not something I think about doing when I'm playing. Uh, but to me, it's the most important part of the music because I, I love, I love all the exciting parts of our music. I love how fast it gets, how like intricate the drums can be, and all of that. But that only goes so far, I think. And what what makes our music so special is it's one of the few that actually moves people. You know, people start crying sometimes; they have tears in their eyes, or they say that you know it was spiritual. And uh, and I feel that too when I'm playing. You know, when when it's the slower part, the deeper part, um, takes me, I guess, to a deeper place in myself as well Hmm. okay and was the chance of india the first cd that you uh produced with your father is that right yeah it was i had recorded just one track on um on his 75th birthday album it was a four cd set and that was when i was 13 but this was the first full album i actually worked on and many of these chants um do take the form of prayer Mm. uh but it's um it, it it you know how do you again I, you know we talked about this at the beginning it's it's a different kind of prayer i think mm. i mean for example let's say someone in a theistic tradition is praying to god mm-hmm. um who where are your prayers going what are they doing um, um i don't almost say hinduism is very tribal in a way because it's still very much connected to nature you know, uh, most of our gods are connected to certain elements. We have a fire god, and he represents, you know, certain types of strength. The god of uh, goddess of the water, she's wisdom. You know, it connects to the idea of water and what it does, that type of power. And, um, you know, in that way, we have thousands and thousands of gods. And, um, and you pray to, you know, the type of thing that you're looking for, I suppose. Uh, beyond all of those many gods, of course, we have the trinity of uh, Brahma, the creator, Vishnu, the preserver, and Shiva, the destroyer, and they all, of course, symbolize different things. Their wives are different things, their children. Um, but even beyond all that, I think what I find really fascinating about Sanskrit prayers is that it's very much about the sound as well. If you look at the whole language of Sanskrit, uh, I think it's the only language in the world, maybe apart from Latin, where like the vibration of the way the words sound is equally as important as what you're saying. And so when you're chanting, you don't even have to always know what the prayer means, because the vibrations do produce a sort of, you know, element in you, you know, I'll feel peaceful, I'll feel strong, I'll feel energetic with with different prayers, and they are meant to evoke those things, and that's what I find really special. You know, that's so interesting, I've heard that also of Muslims talking about Quranic mm. Arabic, mm. you know, but it's a very foreign uh, thing, particularly to Americans, mm-hmm. um, you know, we, we have our language and we translate everything into mm-hmm. English, I think Sanskrit is the oldest language it is. in the world. It is, it is. And but you also were raised in England and America. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, how do you think about the way you relate to that ancient language? Well, I, I don't claim to know it at all, um, but you do feel it. I mean, in a way, I feel like English has too many words. 
sometimes. I mean, I love it because it's it's creative and you can really express your thoughts and your feelings. Um, but I think not everything can really be explained in a mathematical way. You can't always find the right word. And in Sanskrit, they have the feeling. You know, it's really about vibrations and patterns. And, and that's what I remember from growing up because I did move away from the idea of I don't want to just be praying all the time and, and I don't know these words, so it's not relevant to me. And and uh, that was when I was probably a teenager. But, yeah, I just find you, you don't have to know. Like, you just say them again and again, and it brings so much peace. It really, really does. It's amazing. There's also um, a lot of repetition in uh, the, mm. this in mantra. Um, is that part of just the sensation, the way these things sink into you and It depends on what, on what they are. Um, some mantras have a specific amount of times that they're supposed to be said to produce the effect. Um, some you just say the more the better. Um, it, it goes deeper into you, I think, and the chant sort of puts you into that state of meditation where you're focused on what you're saying and you tune out other things. And it, it's sort of that way with, with yoga meditation where you can really reach that state through many things. For me, it's through music. Um, for other people, it can be through painting. It tunes and it focuses you. And it's the same with chanting. And there's also this um, primordial sacred sound, uh, om. om. Would you say it? How, it did, is that right? Om. om. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Tell me about that. What does that mean for you? Well, um, well like you said, it's, it's the primordial sound. It's supposed to contain like the whole power of the universe in that word. The three letters are a, u, and m. Mm. And um, one thing I notice when people are chanting Commonly, there's a slight mispronunciation in the word because one of the deepest powers of that word is the vibration you get from the M sound. When, when you really hold your lips shut and, and say that, that, that produces a sort of uh, vibration in your body. And most people tend to chant with this big like, oh, and then just shut their mouth on the M for a second. But it's really supposed to be like, oh, and that's supposed to get louder for as long as, as long as you can hold that breath and it increases your breath control. Your lungs um, get cleaned by it and... And it's supposed to have a really great spiritual effect. And I noticed on the chants of India CD, I think um, these prayers tend to begin and end with Om. Is mm, that right? Always. Is that is that true of all um, Hindu prayers? Almost always. It may not be written in the prayer all the time, but it is how people tend to start and end very often with Om and then the word Shanti three times, which means peace. And that, that's a very common way of ending as well. Okay. I'm curious, um, when, you, when you've when you worked on this kind of, of sacred music with your father, I mean, he's 80, is that right? He's 82 now, 82. Actually, yeah. And when you did this particular CD, mm-hmm. you not only bring a different generation to it, but you bring a different kind of upbringing. He grew up in India mm, and you absolutely. grew up in the West. And uh, I wonder what you think you might have brought to, to the interpretation of this Hindu prayer that went into oh I never wow I'm not sure <laughs> I never thought of it you know did you have a different um, perspective um, you know it, it's it's very different when I work with my father because we're not approaching a project as collaborators he it we're on different levels he's my teacher and so when I work on something with him I'm working very much under him so um, as the years have gone by I have more and more input in in what we do but say back then that was five years ago I wasn't really sitting there going no it's not like that you know because I don't know a thing about it you know (laughs) and um and it's very much working under him so I did bring a lot into it I'm sure in the sense that I was conducting and I was assisting him so whenever he was composing the pieces 
Um, I think because I, I've worked with him so much, I tend to pick up much quicker than other people. And so I was always the one to learn the piece from him, write it down, then go teach it to the other people to go help them. So I had a big role to play, but not as much in the creative side of it. I mean, the whole album is very much his, the way it happened. Were there particular prayers that, that felt especially important to you? Um. Um, yeah, I mean, the one that doesn't have as much relevance in my life as yet is the, the Mrityudatta, the one about death. Um, you want to read that? Way to do that? Oh, gosh, you want me to read Sanskrit? All right. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, you could, there's an English translation. Okay, here we go. You could do both. Actually, the English would probably be better for our listeners. Yeah, we'll do that. Um, so it's, we worship Lord Shiva, the three-eyed one. The so it goes, we worship Lord Shiva, the three-eyed one, the one who is the master of all senses and qualities, and the one who is the sustainer of all growth. May he release us from the bondage of death as a ripened cucumber is released from its stalk. And may he not deprive us of immortality and grant us immortality. And you said that's the one that is that's, the that least one, close to you. It's, it's the least close to me because it's not something I've ever thought about as much as some of the other prayers. But just the way my dad sang it, um, because there was the chanting in the background, but then he starts singing over it. And his voice is just so emotional and so powerful in that that I, I just love it. Well, and he is it's closer kind of, to the end of life and you are yeah, closer exactly, to the beginning of exactly. life. Exactly. And that sort of made me realize that in a way, I suppose. Oh, would you read a couple more in there that are... Mm-hmm. I, I marked some that, to me, read like prayers, that sound like prayers. But if there's something... I mean, I just... I put little X's by them. But if there's some... Hey, can we get a little bit in the Sanskrit and the Okay. You know, there are quite a few. So so um, go through there. I, the first one, uh, I just... When I first started listening to the CD, just that first piece of music was so incredible. Yeah, that first one is yeah, beautiful. So I love that. We might play that in the show. Yeah, a few of them are very close to me because I grew up saying them. And um, and so those ones, it was really nice to see them come out mm-hmm. in this way. The first one is sure. one that I learned when I was a kid, and it goes, uh, I'm, I'm not singing it, but the way you chant it would be, Vakratunda Mahakaya Koti Surya Samaprabha Nirvignam Kurume Deva Shubhakariyeshu Sarvada. And it's just a very basic prayer um, to Lord Ganesha, who you, you tend to always start auspiciously um, beginning anything with a prayer to him. So like in that case, the album starts with a prayer to him and uh, the translation is O Lord Ganesha of the curved trunk and massive body the one whose splendor is equal to millions of suns please bless me so that I do not face any obstacles in my endeavors and the reason he's always first is because he is known as the remover of obstacles so at the beginning of a dance performance people always start with a prayer to him at the beginning of any venture opening an office building whatever he's the one that people tend to pray to to make everything go smoothly Mm. Sorry. <laughs> just, you, you want to just nudge your chair back okay. a couple inches, that may help. Yeah. Um, you. Would you want to look through there and see if there's one or two others that you okay. would want to read? It's so nice to hear you um, say the words. I feel like a dork. You feel like a dork? <laughs> you don't sound like a dork. I have to say, I feel really strange because I'm so, I'm above you. I'm looking down on you. I'm, just, <laughs> I'm, I'm wanting to hunch. No, please don't. If I had your height, I'd be happy. <laughs> hmm. Uh, another one that I grew up saying a lot uh, is Sahana Vabatu. And, uh, you could get a little closer now. <laughs> 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 okay, so put your forward and still lean back. Is that good? It's going to be perfect. Okay. <laughs> so Sahana Vabatu is another one that I grew up saying a lot. 
And it goes, um, Sahana vavatu, sahana bhunaktu, sahaviryam karva vahe, tejasvinad patitamastu, ma vidvishavahe. And it's a general prayer uh, to the Lord um, to make us strong and protect us and everything like that. Would you read the, the sure. English translation? Uh, may the Lord protect us together. May he nourish us together. May we work together uniting our strength for the good of humanity. May our learning be luminous and purposeful. May we never hate one another. May there be peace, peace, and perfect peace. So again, you know, when you say the Lord, now that's the English mm-hmm. word mm-hmm. that's used there. Who, mm-hmm. who are you thinking of? Who's in your imagination? At that point, it's it depends person to person. My mother, for instance, is a very big Krishna worshiper. She's always, um, from the beginning when she was a child, loved Krishna. And so everything she does is in relation to him in her head. She prays to him when she says general prayers. She's picturing him. She has conversations with him. I mean, it's bizarre. Um, and then my dad is a little more uh, leaning towards Ganesha, the the elephant god. And and for me, I grew up initially probably with Krishna because I, I grew up with my mom having that, that influence on me. Uh, but I think I, I've distanced myself from a lot of the, the imagery of Hinduism. And, and I really do see what... Um, what they explain it as, which is just sort of this, this sacred energy, this primordial, the om, the, the center of the universe, what, whatever you want to call it. But it, it is just a universal energy, really, that we pray to. And people have to put different images on it to make it easier, I think. As you grow older and grow as a musician, um, does this sense of the spiritual in the music and uh, in your playing of it change and develop in different ways? I mean, you're not that old. So. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I should ask you this question when you're 30. Yeah, ask me in a few years. <laughs> um, I'm not sure, really. I think it's always been quite important to me, but for different reasons. I mean, you you grow up with whatever your parents teach you, and you don't think about it too much. So even though I probably prayed more as a kid, because my parents are more actively Hindu than I am, um, it might not have been as genuine because it was just what I was supposed to do. And then I went through that whole teenage phase of really distancing myself from it in a way to, to think about what I really thought of the whole thing. And, and now I've, I've ended up coming back to it in, in maybe a slightly more subtle way. Like I said earlier, I'm not very actively Hindu. But all the, all the tenets of Hinduism, all the main core points are just so beautiful and so amazing that they have a very important part in my life. And um, that probably comes across in my music too. I think... Uh, for the first few years that I was performing, I was always focused more on, on how fast I could play and how much I could impress the audience with, with the virtuosity of, of the instrument. And and now I've realized the more important part of it is to really be able to move them. And and, and that was hard for me at first, to be able to get up on stage and, and let go in that way, because it is a very personal thing, and to do it in front of people is, is kind of difficult at times. But I'm getting more comfortable with it now. Yeah, and I mean, especially this music that that is prayer. I mean, there's something mm. so intimate about that, just about reading it now, or mm. I can imagine being on a stage and performing it. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it's a very deep part of yourself that you're sharing, I guess, especially in the in the slower parts, you know, it really is like a meditation. And and the fact that um, that you're supposed to improvise as much as possible, because that's very personal. It's coming out of you. It's not even someone else's composition that's safe and sounds good. And, and, and it's a big risk you take up on stage, like in front of that many people. Mm. So I think one of the central tenets, if not the central tenet of Hindu, is this notion of letting go of the fruits of your action, hmm. which has a parallel in you know contemplative Christian tradition hmm. as well. Um, 
and I, I just wonder how, you know, how you live with that as a musician and, and as a, the famous daughter of a famous mm. father. Does that form you or does that shape the way you take the fact that you are, you know, mm-hmm. growing more famous uh, as well? Um, again, I'm not really sure if that's something I've thought about too much. Um, w- with the whole fame and everything, I, on one side I'm very used to it. So it's very easy for me to say it doesn't matter to me. But if you were to take it away, it might. You know, I, I don't know. But at the same time, because I, I grew up with the fame around me even before I was experiencing it, I, I know and I knew right from the beginning that it wasn't the most important thing because I saw my dad and I knew the reason that he was amazing wasn't that he was famous and glamorous and successful. It was who he was as a person and and all the people I knew through him. You know, it was the same. It, what really mattered was, was who they were. And so that helped me right from the beginning because I, I started playing when I was 13 on stage. And that might have been very difficult to deal with. I might have lost my head very easily getting successful at that age, but but I had the grounding already, so that that helped me a lot. And I think I need to ask for my you know for my colleagues back at NPR, mm-hmm. um, just you know tell me about what you're excited about, uh, what what excites you about the concert you're doing here and the the wor- the music you're making right now. Hmm? Uh, is this for in yeah. Minneapolis? Okay. Yes. yes, yes. <laughs> the, the, the prayer program okay. is national. Okay. But I want to go back to NPR and and also have asked a question that they might be able to use on our arts program okay, to great. to uh, to publicize the okay. concert. So I'll just ask Thanks. it again. You know what 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 are you particularly excited about? What is new in uh, what you're going to be performing? What you're performing right now and and this week in Minneapolis? Well, it's exciting for me because my dad's not actually performing that much anymore. And so most of the time I'm touring on my own, which I, I love as well. But getting to play with my dad again is always amazing because it's a whole new level. And oh, I don't think we have done a show together for a couple of months now. The last one was in March in New Delhi. So it's been a while. So I'm really looking forward to it. They're flying in today. So I can't wait to see my parents and play. And also I think it's my first time playing in Minneapolis at mm-hmm. all. So I'm excited. Is there some new music uh, that you're developing now or that you'll be presenting? Always, always. always. I have no idea what he's going to play. <laughs> he doesn't really tell me until the day of the show. And even then, sometimes he'll get up on stage and give me this look, and I'm like, oh, no, something else, <laughs> something completely different. So, yeah, there's going to be a lot of new stuff. Okay. All right. Well, I think this was just delightful, and I, I couldn't Thank be you. happier. Um, Thanks. I think it will be, you know, people will learn a lot from this. I hope so. Yeah, wonderful. Are you... Just yeah. anything else that she didn't? Yeah, ask anything oh, in terms of what we're talking about. I don't think so. I mean, it's a very different type of interview for mm-hmm. me as well. So yeah. it's so always it's nice. a, we do a different yeah. type of interview. Yeah, these That's are great. such important things to be That's able really to talk about. It's really good that you do that. Great. Really, really Thank good. you so much for making time, Brian. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Could you t- t- uh, take us more into that that moment, um, whether it's on stage or in the studio or it's just in your home, the the point of improv you talked about. Mm. And what, and if there's a way to, to blend that, uh, what you're doing, this kind of spontaneous mm. creative act, with the topic of this interview, is it the, the, the meditative aspect of mm. it which you mentioned, and does that does that are the, is there some relevance there? This yeah. this kind of creative act, and, well, and answer it to Krista. Don't okay, okay. Me. Krista just asked you that question. Okay. Um, well, one big difference I find between say playing a composed piece. Or, or improvising. And you can do both at the same time. So even if I'm playing a line that's composed and then going to a line that's improvised, in that composed part, it, it, sometimes it can be such a beautiful piece that I'm completely involved. But 
when you're playing something that you've known and you've done already, at least for me, my mind is completely free to wander. You know, I can be playing on stage for people and my head will still be somewhere else. You know, did I cut my toenails today? Or something <laughs> as ridiculous as that can, can actually come into your head. But when you're improvising, it completely forces you to be in the moment. And every bit of your mind and your heart has to be involved with nothing but the melody that you're playing, the time cycle you're playing, and what's happening with your musicians. And that being in the moment is, I think, one of the most important things you can possibly do, whether it's through meditation or music or, or studying religion. And, and that's always the goal of, of any meditator, is to be in the moment always and not to have your head stuck in the future or stuck in the past. And, and when you're able to do that, that's the whole idea of Zen, I think, as well. Mm-hmm. And, and so that's really beautiful. Yeah, the, um, the French writer Simone Weil wrote, um, prayer is absolutely unmixed attention. Mm. So, I mean, you mm. can also absolutely. give it as a definition of prayer. Absolutely. Okay, well, thank you so much. This was just wonderful. Thank you. Yeah. Oh, that was fun. Okay. <laughs>